0: It's a joy again to be here and to begin our service this morning with a baptism. <clears throat> this is Devin, Devin Walker. Uh, Devin was with us at youth camp. Uh, Devin, we love you. We spent a great week with you last week. And also in Vacation Bible School. During Vacation Bible School, Devin shared with me that he had accepted Christ and wanted to profess that publicly through baptism. A couple of weeks ago, on Saturday night, Devin was in a watermelon eating contest in Franklin. We had scheduled his baptism for the next day, and Devin didn't make it. I think he did too well in the watermelon eating contest. (laughs) Uh, But Devin, we love you. We love your family. He has his mother, Candy, his little brother, Luke, his sister, Caitlin, are here with us to celebrate this special time as well. Let's go to our Father in prayer and giving thanks to him for salvation, uh, for the gift of Christ. For the ordinance of baptism, as we baptize Devin this morning, I think all of us should be reminded of the fact that Christ died for us. This is how we'll put Devin under. He was raised up from the dead on the third day. And all who place faith in Jesus are united to Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. And we are also immersed into Jesus by faith and by the work of the Spirit. In fact, we already have a youth camp theme for next year, Immersed. (laughs) As Bryson said last year, youth camp was like his first week, and he was immersed into youth ministry through youth camp. He's still being immersed into youth ministry. So Bryson, thank you for your leadership. Anyway, I said we were going to pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your grace that you've expressed toward all of us not only the things that you give us every day, like food and and water and air and the gifts of creation, but especially through Christ, what you've done for us in Jesus. You loved us and you sent your Son. Thank you that those who trust Christ are united to Jesus in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And because he lives, we too shall live. I thank you for Devin and his faith in Christ. I thank you for his personality. We love him, Lord. We thank you for making Devin the special young man that he is. And now we celebrate his salvation through this baptism. And may it all remind us, Father, of of what it means to be fully baptized into you and your grace and the life you call us to live now that that has happened. So, Father, may all that we do this morning throughout the worship service, but especially right now, be for you and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Devin Walker, because of your profession of faith in Christ and in obedience to His command, it is now my joy and our joy to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There you go.
1: just kind of tell you a little bit we we learned about the idea of being sustained and that before christ can even you know work in our lives we first have to allow him to start kind of like on the piano piano is going to sit there and not make a noise until you hit the note and allow that pitch to be sustained um and it was a fun week as you could tell by the slideshow i think bryson has learned that regardless of how tame of an activity he plans this group sitting behind me can make it highly competitive and intensive and debatable um but that's part of part of our group and what makes us special i mean we can whether it's tic-tac-toe dressing up like old people or running on the beach um we're going to be competitive with one another and you know pretty much aggravate each other the whole time um but i think that's a sign of how close our youth group is um and just how they continue to grow together um so i hope you'll listen to these words as they sing it Um, and as you're listening to it, I hope this is a prayer for your heart, but I encourage you to take this time to kind of pray this over our youth, um, as well. You'll stand with us. We're going to worship again together.
2: just your voices one more time, your love. Your love never never fails, it never gives up,
0: it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love Amen. You may be seated. Uh, for Children's Church, children's leaders will be taking out... Thank you, Miss Yvonne. Those who go to that ministry, the rest of us turn to First John chapter 4. Next in our series on the goodness of God is the, today, the goodness of God in the perfection of His love. All week long at youth camp, one of the things that we kept discussing over and over was that the stream of God is full of water, that His love never runs out, and that He is an ever-flowing well that we need to return to again and again. 1 John 4 describes the love of God and its perfection. The Bible commands us to contemplate and meditate on and think about, again and again, the love of God. It holds up before us constantly the perfect love of God. We've said this before, we'll say it again, that if you're feeling too haughty and too arrogant and invincible and as if you do not need God or people, contemplate the love of God in the cross and it will humble you. It will correct you. If you're feeling discouraged, as if no one cares, depressed, down, the cross of Christ and God's love will lift you up. So the love of God, especially in the cross, is the perfect balancer. It humbles us when we need humbling, and it lifts us up and encourages us when we need encouraging. And as a real human being, you and I spend time in both those areas, and we need constant correction. That's why the Bible holds before us the cross of Christ. We're going to do that again. 1 John chapter 4. The goodness of God in the perfection of His love. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, in other words, those who are especially loved by God. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is what? God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us. Or rather, on our behalf. Some of the versions interpret that phrase differently. In us, or on our behalf. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The implication is that if He had not done that, we would not live. For we are dead apart from Him, dead in our sins and transgressions. Verse 10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have beheld and we bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us. That's twice he said that now. It's being perfected in us. That we may have confidence in the day of judgment. The ultimate cosmic final exam. Sinful man standing before holy God in judgment. How are we going to have confidence in that? Here's how because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, And hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should, should love his brother also. Father, we are grateful for your word. It is convicting because it reveals to me how shallow and selfish my love often is. But it also is encouraging because it shows us how perfect you are in all your ways, especially in the way in which you love us sinners. Father, show us more of this in your word. Help us to understand it and apply it. Help us to not only know and believe it, but to, to share it as we ought, as we should, as we are commanded, as this text. Shows us. Thank you, Father, for your perfection and for your perfect love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. How does He love us? Let's count a few of the ways because God's love is so deep and wide, there, uh, my, my whole lifetime could not exhaust describing the perfection of His love. It's what the whole Bible's about, it's what history's about, it's why we are here to know and love God. God's love is absolutely perfect. So this week during youth camp, I was with Bryson in the small group that is the ninth grade boys. And on one particular morning, Bryson and I were discussing with these ninth grade boys what the word perfect means. And I think Bryson read out of his notes the following definition, and I like this. How do you define perfect? Lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. No improvement can be made. When you describe something as perfect, it means it lacks nothing whatsoever and no improvement can be made. Well well, I needed to hear that definition because I'm I'm misusing the word perfect a lot. For example, years ago someone would ask me when I was in college, how'd you do on that exam? I said, Man, I did perfect. (laughs) What'd you get? I said, I got a (laughs) C. Well, not so perfect, right? There's, there's some improvement that could be made there. Well, how does that look to you? Well, it looks perfect to me. No, no, it, it can, it, there, there's some improvement that can be made. This is another way of saying that God's love, His grace, is absolutely sufficient. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, doesn't he? My grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. It's perfect. It's it's not lacking anything. There's no improvement that can be made to your life if you have God's love for you. No no improvement could be made in how he feels toward you and how he has acted on your behalf. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. Why? Because of the perfection of his love. So let's think this morning just for a few minutes about God's perfect love and I'm going to describe it in a few of the ways in which he loves us. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that being rooted and grounded in love we would be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you'll be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer, that we would know how deep and wide. You remember singing that song as a child? Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. And now in my adulthood, I realize that God himself is that fountain. And a relationship with him and experiencing his love is both deep and it's wide. And we express his love in some of the songs we sing. For example, last week, Michael Creed preached. I'm so grateful for Michael. Is Michael here today? Man, preach one Sunday, go on the next. I'll have to get get Michael. No, granted, he is doing the Lord's work wherever he may be. But I know that you sang last week how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. We can't measure it. It's immeasurable. A song that our choir used to sing, He knew me, yet He loved me. How could he love me if he really knew me all the way to the bottom and saw every aspect of my life absolutely clearly? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. When I was in the youth group years ago, a youth group, we used to sing a song that had this phrase in it, perfect love embracing the worst in me. Are you familiar with that phrase at all? That line, perfect love embracing the worst in me. Perfect love. And how about this? Jesus loves me, this I know. Not I hope so, not I guess so, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. What does the Bible tell us about God's love? One of the things it tells us is that God is love. And what that means is... God has always been loving, He will always be loving, and He is loving yesterday, today, and forever. He has always been three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed in perfect love. There's never been a disagreement, there's never been an argument, there's never been any hostility, there's never been a lack of submission, there's never been a lack of cooperation in the Trinity. The son submitted completely to the Father's will. It was difficult. And he prayed, if there's any way, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. The son was submitting perfectly to the Father's perfect loving plan to rescue us. I want to highlight five characteristics that John points out. Number one, in John 4, We find that God's love is initiating. God's love is initiating. The phrase that he gives us is this. We love because he first loved us. In the beginning, God. Sometimes we get in arguments and we say, you started it. (laughs) But when things are going well, we say, hey, I started it. (laughs) It was my idea. In eternity past, God loved us. Before we ever breathed the breath, He knew us and He set His love on us, His electing, choosing love. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. God went first, knowing everything about us and everything about the universe and everything about Himself. We love because He first loves us. God isn't passive in His love. He isn't passive. God is not playing hard to get. God has not done these things in a corner. Sometimes we're very passive. Well, I'll, I'll wait till they come to me. You know, We'll see if they come to me. Or I'll wait on them to come and apologize to me. Now, God's love is moving. It's acting. He goes first. And that's why we say leaders, true leaders go first. They're the first to forgive. They're the first to apologize. They're the first to confess. They're the first that we move first because he first moved toward us in redeeming love. He leaves the 99. Luke 15 says this. He leaves the 99 and he does what? He goes after. He goes after. He pursues like the, Francis Thompson called him this, the hound of heaven. And here's the kicker. If He didn't first love us, we would never have come to Him. We're dead in our sins and transgressions. We couldn't figure this stuff out. My only hope is that He had first loved me. The only reason I love is that He first loved me. Listen, He has loved us with an everlasting love, and He has drawn us with His initiating, gracious, compassionate, everlasting love. The first thing I want to say about God's love is He's gone first. His love is initiating. The second thing, and this is just as incredible, is God's love is rescuing. His love is rescuing. He, he is about rescuing and saving. John says this, not that we love God because we by nature don't love God. We love ourselves and our sin. So it's not that we loved God. But he loved us and sent his son. He said that several times in the text. He sent his son. His son came on a rescue mission. Matthew 121. His name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people. He will rescue them from their sins. From the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and ultimately in glorification from the presence of sin. By nature, you and I are law-breaking rebels. Law-breaking rebels deserving eternal wrath. We did not love God. He pursued us and rescued us and He found us and He's loved us and He sent His Son not just to live a perfect life, which we should have lived, but to die a death on our behalf as our substitute that we deserve to die and John calls that propitiatory. What that means is, is he bore the punishment and the wrath that was, that I had earned, that I had merited. And here was the perfect sinless Savior dying in my place. And he takes what I deserved. And I get what he has. So his, his love rescues us in a propitiatory manner satisfying both the justice and the holiness and the mercy and the grace of God. It's where His holiness and His mercy meet and and they crash, and the crash is on the heart of God. God Himself demonstrated His love for us in that while we were sinners, God died in our place. We were so sinful that God had to do it. Yet so loved that he was glad to do so. One of the things that we talked about during youth camp to demonstrate the love of God was the, uh, the example of the rescue mission in Thailand. Of those 13 or so boys and their coach out of that deep cave that they were trapped in and there was no way out. And it was an urgent rescue, it was an international rescue, it was a necessary rescue, it was a sacrificial rescue. One of those rescuers died trying to get in there to save those boys. The situation was grave and it was getting worse. I read an article describing the attitude and the emotions of several of the rescue workers and this is what one man said. He said, I'm quite emotional as a father. He says, everybody has this feeling because we, this is what he said, we feel like it's our children who are inside the cave. We felt like it was our children who were there. The journalist said the thought of their own children kept them going. Well, I said to myself, that's true, if, it were any one of the five of my sons I'm sure that my wife and I would have sold everything we had gone to Thailand and done whatever we had to do to rescue our children from inside that cave and those of you who are parents you would be willing to do the same because that's what love does love sacrifices selflessly for the beloved well on an infinite scale And in a much greater way, that's how the Father has loved us. His love is rescuing and it's redeeming and it's sacrificial. And so that's why we can cast our soul and our life and our daily life on Him. And His love is because we we have proof of His love. We know what He's already done, so we have security in what He will do. And that leads to my next point. Not only is His love initiating and rescuing, But it's also very securing. What John says is perfect love casts out fear. This fear involves punishment. What would the fear be related to? Well it would be related to judgment and death. How are we going to stand before God in that ultimate final exam? Now you and I know what it's like to stand before an earthly final exam. Be it a test in school, be a physical exam that we may be dreading. And so if we've got something on the calendar that's coming up that is a final type of serious exam, that dread starts to creep in. I don't know what kind of news I'm going to get. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know if I'm going to pass or fail. It could be life-changing. There's a cosmic exam that all of us are facing before God, yet John says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to meet God and to finally see Him. Why? Because God's love is securing. You're in Christ. And He sees you and loves you in Christ. And what did He say about Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That God doesn't love me to the degree that I'm like Christ, but to the degree that I'm in Christ. So if God counts me in Christ, here, here it is. The final exam's result, has alre- the verdict has already been given. I know that when I stand before God, I've got Romans 8, 1 on my side. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. None. And I don't need to fear God. Fe- no reverence, yes, but I'm talking about dread of judgment. No, because God has already passed the verdict in Christ and you cannot fail. That's very much unlike our love because we don't want people to get too secure with us because we think that they will take advantage of us if they know that we will never leave them nor forsake them. But the opposite is true. If people feel secure in our love, it transforms them to love us more. The one who's forgiven much loves much. I'll give you an example. When I was taking algebra in high school, we had a wonderful short term, by the way, teacher named Mr. Curry. An experienced, great math teacher had left the system. They hired a new teacher named Mr. Curry to teach us algebra. Listen, you could not fail his class. In fact, you could not fail a test that you took in his class. In fact, he allowed you to bring your exam back to him so many times, and he would work with you, and he would correct it, and he would say, go back and do this, and and, and do it right, and then come back to me. And He he says, I'll, I'll raise your grade. So, you know, if you took a test, the test could last for weeks. I mean, he lets you take the test. You basically got an A on the test. But, but what I found is that you, you loved it so much that you couldn't fail. That he, and and the, the, it was, this was idealistic, and the amount of time per student didn't work out. So, you know, they called me in. They said, Neil, uh, the principal called me, and he says, how's that? How's that new math teacher doing? I said, man, I think he's doing great. <laughs> I mean, I was finally secure enough to get the principles because I knew that I wouldn't fail. It, it, it set you free to actually learn in an environment where, where you had this connection. I'm not going to go into that, but here's my point. My point is that having the security that you would not ultimately fail affected your performance in a positive way. God knows this so when you come to Christ he tells you this listen I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you faithful, faithful am I to call you I will also bring it to practice Bryson preached Romans 8 at youth camp which told us That those whom he foreknew, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he sanctified. And those whom he sanctified will be glorified. Nothing can separate you from the perfect love of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that draws me closer to the one who loves me, not push me further away. That leads me to my next point. God's love is transforming. Listen, he loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to keep us that way. And so John says things like this. We've come to know, not just mental, but experiential. The Spirit lives within us, and He brings home the love of God to our hearts, Paul says in Romans 5. The Holy Spirit sheds God's love abroad in our hearts. The love that saves, listen, the love that saves also transforms. The love that justifies, sanctifies. So if you have come to know and really believe the love that God has for you, then God is love, and listen, the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And God declares, as he is, so are we in this world. What that means is is God's love is perfecting me and transforming me and changing me day by day to become more like him. Day by day bec- to become more like him. So, what this is, is a dynamic, supernatural, spiritual life with what John Wesley said. This is the life of God In the souls of men. You abide in God and He abides in you. And if His love abides in you, then He is pushing out your old, fallen, selfish love. What I mean by that is, as I've thought this week about God's love, I've compared it to my natural love. My love is lazy, my love is passive, my love is selfish and conditional. Fickle, wishy-washy, that's from Charlie Brown. (laughs) Charlie Brown, you're so (laughs) wishy-washy. My love is self-preserving, my love is incomplete, my love is inefficient, my love is lame, it's narrow. There was a pop song when I was a teenager that said, what have you done for me lately? (laughs) That's human love. That's the world's love apart from Bryson read 1 Corinthians 13 love. It's patient, kind, keeps no record of wrongs. Loves all things, believes all things, hopes all things. That's, That's God's love. And once you begin to know that love and believe that love, He begins to transform your love and His love compels you 2 Corinthians 5. I think Michael talked about that last week. I read his notes. His love controls you now. This, the, the fifth thing. I guess this is last. You're like, wow, he's already at the last point. God's love is securing. God's love is transforming. God's love is completing. You ever hired somebody to do, to do a job and they, they didn't finish it out? That's very frustrating, isn't it? When I mean, we got so far and he didn't close the deal, he didn't finish it out. John says God's love is perfected in us, and then in chapter three, verse two, just a couple of pages back, maybe one page, we shall be like Him. What an amazing promise! That what God began in you and me, which actually began in eternity past, I know that one day He's going to finish that job. His love is perfecting and it will finish you and you'll be just like Jesus. It's going to be amazing. And you'll be able to express His worth and your gratitude and your praise and your love for Him in ways that, because you're limited and fallen and finite and, and human. Here we, we, we're limited in our ability to sustain worship and praise and love and devotion, but not then. We're going to finally worship God with the, the, the purity and the perfection that we were designed to do so back in the Garden of Eden before the fall ever was. We're going to be glorified and the world's going to be consummated. God is going to finish the work. How do you know that He's going to finish the work? Because He already did the one thing that we thought would never be done. He gave himself completely for us at Calvary and took upon himself the wrath that we deserve. Paul says if God did that, then you know that he is going to fulfill every promise that he makes. His love is completing, God is sustaining, and Thomas Brooks put it like this. God says to us, you shall have as true an interest of all my attributes for your good as they are mine for my glory. My grace shall be yours to pardon you My power shall be yours to protect you My wisdom shall be yours to direct you My goodness shall be yours to relieve you My mercy shall be yours to supply you My glory shall be yours to crown you This is a comprehensive promise for God to be God To be our God It's perfect, it includes everything As Martin Luther said, God is mine and everything is mine. This is just a few aspects of his perfect love. Now this week, one of the thoughts that we began to kind of unfold at youth camp was the Bryson preached a message on John 4 and the woman at the well. And how God sustains us with his love and with his grace through the daily course of life and all the temptations, all the struggles. The woman at the well, was, she was searching for that well that doesn't run dry, wasn't she? Several relationships had you know, been a waste and they had run out and they had run dry. And, and here was Jesus promising that living water. And while Bryson was preaching, as I was thinking about this message, I thought about the best water that I've ever had in my life. You're probably thinking, ah, can you really categorize that? Because it really depends on how thirsty and hot you are when you have a certain you know, bottle of water. But honestly speaking, the best water I've ever drank in my life was at my great-grandparents' house. I've described their home before. It was like kind of like a mini-Eden to me growing up, and it's an absolute mess today. But that's beside the point. They lived in a farmhouse and had a well on their porch. Did y'all ever go to any house? Some of you may have been raised in homes that had a well inside the house. I thought about my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather. They would go and they would draw from that well every day a bucket of water. And then they would take that water that they had drawn and they would put beside their kitchen sink, they would put a pan or a pail of that drinking water, and they had a little dipper, and they would drink from, that was their drinking water for the day. This is long before the convenience of bottled water. Are any of you with me? And my grandmother was very particular about, about that drinking water, okay? You had to put the dipper back in just so, and you had to, you had to rinse it out before you put it back in there. But she served her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Anybody who came, they had access to this, to this ever-flowing dipper of well water. And because it was served with love, mixed with the right amount of discipline, it was free, it was pure, it was ever-flowing She would say, you go here and you drink as much as you need. All day, every day, that dipper, that well water was available. It was available to receive. And it was also available to give. So what the Bible tells us is in response to God's love, you and I have to go to this well every day and receive the grace of God constantly. Not get saved over and over. I'm I'm just talking about drawing from this well of his grace and love and encouragement and his word and the church and the relationships and baptism and the Lord's Supper and all that goes with it. Receive this love. But not selfishly. John talks about share this love. Witness to this love. Give this love. Freely you receive, freely give. So, you got to have water, the love of God coming in constantly. That's being a good receiver of grace. Confessing Jesus, recognizing your need for Him. You got to do two things well you got to be a good grace receiver, and you got to be a good grace giver. That's fresh water flowing in, and fresh water flowing out. If all you got is flowing in and you're not giving out, that's not a healthy body of water. That's not a healthy soul. If you're giving out and you're not receiving, that's not a healthy soul either. Grace in, grace out every single day. Love one another as I have loved you. That sums up everything John's saying about the goodness of his perfect love. Let's pray. Father, We are grateful this morning for how you have loved us, for you have loved us first, and you have loved us perfectly. You've rescued us. You've redeemed us. You've given us our security, our identity. You give us daily food for our souls that comes from our relationship with you. Help us also, Father, to in a healthy way to go, to share to move toward people, to love our enemies, knowing that we once were your enemies, to love people first, because you first loved us. Father, thank you for what you've done. May we respond with worship, with gratitude, with humility, with joy, and with singing, and committing ourselves yet again to this well which will never, ever, ever, run dry. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing about the love of God. He is our King. come forward at this time we'll take our offering let us pray heavenly father you are just so gracious To each and every one of us because of the undying love that you have for us and may we always be appreciative of that fact and as we submit our tithes and offerings to you this day use them according to your will and by the power of the Holy Spirit go with each and every one of us throughout the remainder days of this week and our days to come For these things we ask in Christ's name Amen